so um, <clears throat> this morning, I want to continue with the series that we're doing on the book of Hebrews, which is a book written to Jewish people who had converted to Christianity who were scattered abroad at that time. And so they have a, a general understanding of the Torah and the law and the Psalms and the prophets. And so the writer of Hebrews refers often back to it. <clears throat> so today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2 and from verses 5 to 10. And I've entitled it The Recommissioning of Man Through Jesus Christ. The Recommissioning of Man Through Jesus Christ. Now, when you write an academic paper, like a thesis, for example, you've got to put in an abstract. And an abstract is not an introduction. It's a summary of what you're going to write about. So this morning, I'm going to give you a little bit of an abstract so that you know where I'm going with this message. In the beginning, God created man in his image. That's why we are so, we have the ability to create. We have the ability to govern. We have the ability to live life at a very high level compared to the rest of creation. We have the ability to love and experience love at a higher level than the rest of creation. we made in his image. We're supposed to govern and rule, but we foul up because everything we do seems to be revolving around ourselves. We want to feed ourselves, protect ourselves, enrich ourselves, look after ourselves. And so this, this thing going on the whole time, and, and because of that fallenness, thank you, because of that fallenness, the world goes into an absolute state of chaos. The world is still today in a state of chaos. It's chaotic out there. It's chaotic in governments. Good is called evil. Evil is called good. People are, con people are more confused today than they were in the past. But God chooses a time when he sends his own son, Jesus, who comes as a man to live as the new creation man. Not born of the flesh, born of the spirit. But he's born through Mary. And he comes and he grows up and he learns and he lives as a man. And then he dies this incredible death on behalf of man, tasting death for all men. But he's the new creation man that enables the rest of man to be invited into that new creation life and recommissions us to live again as we were originally called to the purposes of God to reflect his love and his life and his light in a dark world. He recommissions us. He enables us and empowers us to live a new life. And then he promises that the world to come that he brought into the present by the way he lived, by the healings and the miracles, that world to come, he says, you too can experience it now until the end of the ages when I return to make all things new. Yeah. That's the abstract. That's the whole overview of where I'm going this morning. So Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 10. Let's read through it. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. Say world to come. We're talking about not this world, the world to come, the, the new heavens and the new earth. The, the most Google, one of the most Google things on the planet today is what happens when you die. Go, just go and look at it. It's one of the most Google things. People want to know what happens when we die. God's word speaks of it. He did not subject to angels the world to come of which we are speaking as it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, God? Or the son of man that you even care for him? 
You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and, putting, and put everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, God left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So that's the text that we're going to look at this morning. So the first part of it is, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? The world to come, as, as Jesus revealed in the gospel, was the coming of a kingdom. Friends, whether you are a believer or a skeptic, the reality is what happens when you die? And the good news is, if you're in Christ, you are absolutely 100% assured and prepared for what happens when you die. But if you're outside of Christ, you're not sure what's going to happen when you die. So therefore, be prepared for the world which is to come, the most Googled thing on the planet. And he says, we've been speaking about it. It's in the gospel. It's in the good news that I've been talking about, this, this, this world to come. What did Jesus do? He brought into the present world, God's future world. That's how he lived. That's why he was so remarkable, because he did things that nobody else did. But he brought the future world, the world to come, breaking into the present world, and they got to see it. They saw him walk on water. They saw him feed thousands of people with a few loaves and a couple of fishes. They saw him heal sick people. They saw him raise the dead. They saw the world to come break in to the present. So he says, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. In other words, God has not entrusted the governance of the world to come to angels. What's the common thread of Hebrews so far? Angels are not the highest beings. Jesus Christ is superior to angels. So it was not to angels that God um, subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? So he's saying, but it seems like it's to man that you've entrusted the world to come. Not to angels, but to man. What is man that you are mindful of him? So he's not even talking about Jesus now. Or is he? Let's look at where he says where it's come from. He says, for somewhere it was said. Let me tell you where it was said. Psalm 8 verse 3. <clears throat> when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers. Now just consider the, the creation of the universe, the creation of galaxies, the crea where the stars are in place, the, our solar system, all the dynamics of that. If you could do that, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. But now if you knew 
the scriptures, if you knew the, the scriptures well, you would also recognize that we, because that word there, man, no, no, wait, that's in Hebrews. Let me, let me say this. When, when, you saw, when you see the son of man, you would think of Daniel's prophecy that is talking about Jesus, the coming Messiah. So for some people, they're going in Psalm 8, is this just a man or is this the son of man, the Messiah coming? So actually, the, the scriptures are talking about two things. They're talking about man and the new creation man. They're talking about man who falls, who's selfish, who's greedy, who messes up, and the new creation man who comes as a representative of the new man. So he goes on to say the following, that you care for him. He goes on in verse 5, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. What's that referencing? It's going back to Genesis in the beginning, when God said, here is, the, here is creation. I want you to rule and reign and govern, and I want you to fill the earth. Go and do it. What does God think of man? He thinks highly of us. He made us in his image. He entrusts to us such authority to govern and rule and reign. And even when we messed up, he doesn't stop loving us. And he doesn't take away the privilege of governing. He sends a new creation man who does what we were unable to do and then invites us to be recommissioned to live that life again where we bring his future world into this world, governing according to righteousness and justice and truth and peace and love and joy. It's a beautiful recommissioning that God does for us in Jesus Christ. So it wasn't to angels that he, that he entrusted the world. It was to man. It's a great level of love and trust that God has for us. But though we seem for a moment to be lower than angels, because we are. As a man, you've you got to go to the toilet. You've got to sleep. You've got to eat. You get tired. You're weak. You're fragile. Though we are lower than angels a lesser order of beings, God intends that we should become the world's true governors again. That's, that's what he started with in Genesis, and he hasn't changed his mind. But there's only one way to truly live that life, and that's through the one man, Jesus Christ. In the coming world, the world that is to come, God intends that the original order of creation should finally be realized. The world is to be ruled wisely and creatively by human beings who themselves have lived in trusting obedience to God, but who have been glorified through Christ Jesus. But God has not given up on us even though we messed up so royally. You've got to remember that God does not give up on man. That's what he proved to us in Christ. He never gives up on us, but he sends Jesus to set us up once again to rule and reign in the coming age with him. But it doesn't just start when he comes again. He says, but he invites us now to start 
participating in, experiencing, just like he did, the future world to come, breaking into the present. How do we know that? The writer of Hebrews goes on to say this in, a, in another portion. We are those who believe, who taste of the powers of the world to come. We, when it says taste there, like Jesus tasted death, does that mean he had a little nibble? No, that's an experiential reality. When you taste something, you experience it. He tasted death. In other words, he died. We are those who taste of the powers of the world to come. That's not a little nibble. It's proper experiential, the same words used. So God invites us now, although he, we are going to rule and reign with him in the, in, the, in the new heavens and the new earth, to start experiencing that world to come now just like he did. And I want to unfold that for us as we continue. So now let's have a look at the next part of Hebrews. Hebrews 2 verse 7 and 8. He's speaking about what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man, and then he goes on to say this, you made him for a little while. Now that phrase wasn't in Psalm 8. You made him for a little while, lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. That's a quote from Psalm 8 that we've just read. So what I believe the writer of Hebrews is saying is, God's original mandate was to give man authority. I love man. I put my authority in man. I dignify man. I crown him with glory and honor. Why? He's made in my image. I breathe my very breath of life into him. He is destined to rule and to reign. And then he's talking about you and I. That was our original mandate. But he's also talking about Jesus at the same time, the new creation man. And he's running like a, like, a, like a dual railway track here at the same time. And I'll show you why in a moment. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Say everything. everything. Do you know that for us, everything, in the beginning, Genesis, everything was put in subjection under our feet. We never had to fall. We weren't destined to fall. We chose to. Freedom of choice. That's, that's love. Love gives you freedom to choose. But now, he sends the new creation man because we didn't choose well. The new creation man comes as a man, and everything is in subjection under his feet. For a little while, he's made lower than angels. The very king of glory leaves the majesty of heaven and be humbles himself to become a man, and for a little while, he becomes lower than the angels. Everything is in subjection under his feet. Look what it says next, verse 8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. This Jesus now, and you're going to see where it's going, because he started with man, but he's, but he's talking about now the new creation man. There is absolutely nothing outside of the control of Jesus who came. Nothing. You can think of anything. It falls into the category of nothing. Everything, everything is under the subjection of the new creation man who came to live the life that you and I couldn't live. So let me pick this up um, because Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. 
Then comes the end. Speaking of, when it says then comes the end, we're talking about the new world to come, the end of this world as we know it, and the new world to come. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Sorry, he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. Who's he? Jesus. He says, here's the kingdom that I came to save, that I have restored. And he gives it to the Father. After destroying every rule and every authority and power. Think of that. What is, what is that saying? That's saying that not every authority and every rule and every power is yet destroyed. Okay, got it. That's why life's still chaotic. Because those, those ruling things and those authorities and powers still exist. They're not destroyed. But they don't have supremacy over the new creation man. But they still exist. Um, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. What's that saying? It's saying that this Jesus is reigning now, but these other things are still alive. He must reign until they are completely put under his feet. Who will put it, who will put it all under his feet? God himself will. God himself will put it under the feet of Jesus. Look what it says. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death will be with us. It will be the very last thing to be crushed. And only upon his return when he makes all things new. That's why death is still around. Even though the author of life came and walked the planet. Because these things are still alive. They're not destroyed yet. But he reigns. He must reign until they are put, all put under his feet. And the last one to be under his feet is death. So you're getting a picture. The new creation man reigns as king. But these other things are still around. The writer of Hebrews picks up on this from Psalm 110. There's a lot of Bible study this morning. I'm just showing you how the, how the scriptures are incredibly connected. You've got to understand the, the depth of the knowledge and wisdom of God when he puts this thing together. He said he's more than a genius. The Lord said to my Lord. Now that first Lord there is Yahweh. God, most high. The Lord said to my Lord. This is David writing. So he's saying, the ultimate supreme God said to my Lord, Jesus. That, that, that Adonai is the word used there. which is a It's a representation of the Father speaking to the Son. David says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. That's kingly authority. He came to rule. Rule in the midst of your enemies. See, that's what Jesus did. When he walked this earth, the powers and principalities and the rulers and the authorities, they were all against him. But he ruled in the midst of his enemies. Not in the absence of his enemies. In the midst of his enemies. This king, and that is what I call success, is to rule in the midst of your enemies. And I'm going to explain it now in a moment what that looks like. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. That's the church. The church will come forward and say, we're on your side. We recommissioned. We had to do what you did, Jesus. We're going to live your life in this world. Okay? You with me? Now we're going to get to the best part. You see, Jesus is ruling already. 
When he died on that cross, and, and sorry, even before, when he lived that life before, he was ruling. And when he died on the cross, even when he was dead, he was ruling. And when he rose again, he is ruling. And today he rules, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me. He's on your side, helping us. Send his Holy Spirit to us. But he rules in the midst of his enemies. Now, this is one of my favorite scriptures. Because now, just, just, just go with the flow of this writer of Hebrews. Man, what is man you mind from? You love him. Made for a little while lower than angels, but you still, you've crowned him with glory and honor. You still want him to rule and reign. Jesus, I'm talking about Jesus, comes, look at this, at present, writing to Christians, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Christians, wake up. You, you want perfection on earth. A little, a little bump in the road throws you off course. Oh, God's not on my side. At present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus. If you can get that scripture into your soul, into your innermost being, you will be more than fine no matter what comes your way. This is one of the most powerful scriptures for me because Christians are throwing hands because <laughs> my bank balance is so low. I owe so much money. My boss doesn't like me. My, my neighbor, my neighbor's cat squeals in the middle of the night. Where is God? I thought God loved me. Christians, at present, we do not yet see everything subject to him. But I don't look at those things. Yeah. What do I see? I see Jesus. I see the new creation man. I see the one who reigns over those things. Yeah. Yesterday, I'm sitting on the beach at lunchtime going over these notes, and I'm looking at the beautiful sea. It's a beautiful day, and I just see horrible stuff in the sea coming onto the, coming onto the shore yeah. at Glenashley Beach. It was horrible. And for a moment, I just go, you know what? I am fed up with the governance of this city. And for a moment, I start to go, you know what? Why can't I swim in, my, in, in the sea where I, I... And then suddenly I go, hey, Greg, take your eyes off. Look at Jesus. And in a moment, my heart is, I love Durban. I'm, I'm, I kid you not. In a moment, my heart says, I love Durban. What do you see? Do you see Jesus? Do you have singleness of eye? Jesus said this, when your eye is single... Your whole body is full of light because the eye is the lamp of the body. So what do you see? Because what you see determines how much light is in you. Do you see Jesus? Because if you see Jesus, there is light here even when there's darkness here. Though at present we do not yet see everything subject to him, but we see him. Who for a little while, so now we're getting specific, no longer general man, this is Jesus who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. These are good scriptures, man. Everything hasn't happened yet. Don't be surprised. It's not supposed to have happened yet. But you know what is supposed to have happened is this. 
And, I, and for time's sake, let me just push fast forward here. Jesus came to rule and reign in the midst of darkness and chaos. He came as the new creation man to recommission us to rule and reign in the midst of chaos and darkness. Not to be overcome by chaos and darkness. Not to be subject to depression, subject to oppression, subject to anger, subject to resentment, subject to hate, subject to greed. He came to show us that you can live victoriously in the midst of your enemies. How did Jesus live? No matter what anybody did to him, no matter what sin they caused against him, they could never get him to sin back. That's victory. If you, wanna, if you become a Christian for ease of life, you're deceived. You're a Christian to have the power and life of the Spirit of God in you to enable you not to sin back when somebody sins against you. That's the power of God that does that. In your weakness, he can show himself strong if you're seeing Jesus. In your weakness, if you're not seeing Jesus, you will be overcome by what you see. The, the, is your eye single, Jesus said. What do you see? So no matter what people did, they couldn't get him to fall. Whether they betrayed him, hurled abuse at him, gave false witness against him, which they all did, no matter what they did, he remained saying, I am here to serve my father on behalf of man. I represent the rest of mankind. I will do what they cannot do, and then I will invite them into this new creation life. Yeah. For if any man is born again, he is a new creation. He has a new creation life within him. He is able to live not like the world lives, Christian, you've been called to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Live, say live a life. Live a life. live a life is different to praying a prayer. You're not called to pray a prayer. You're not called to even just come to church. You're called to live a life. 24-7, Monday through Sunday, I'm living a life, a new creation life, because I've been recommissioned by the king who reigns, who never was oppressed, who never gave in, who never failed. I'm living through his recommissioning of my life to be his disciple who said, come follow me. Come follow me and live a life worthy of the calling. Guess your greatest enemy isn't Satan. You know why? Because Jesus defeated him on the cross. He's still around, but he's not your greatest enemy. Your greatest enemy is self. His greatest enemy is self. It was there in Genesis, and it's still around. That's why, that's why Jesus said, whoever wants to follow me, let him deny himself and come and follow me. Let him pick up his cross and come and follow me. Because the way of the world is still self, self, self. If you think everybody is horrible to you and you feel like a victim, your, that, your, your singleness of I is on yourself. If you think everybody owes you something, 
Singleness of I is on self. If, you, if we're angry with somebody, singleness of I, it's on self. Though at present we do not yet see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus. And let me end off with this that, that um, verse. I just want to go back to that one verse. Um, verse 10, because I'm actually going to launch next time I preach on that, uh, from that verse 10. <clears throat> for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory. You see, he, he's the one who brings us to glory. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains but a single seed. If Jesus never died, there'd be no future sons of yeah. glory and daughters of glory. He had to die so that we could be recommissioned and become like him. And he's the firstborn of the new creation. We are the brothers and sisters now who follow him. It's the wisdom of God. Everything is put together in his genius. <clears throat> and then he says, um, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. We'll pick up on that next week, but this is how it all ends today. Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind in you, Christian, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Although he is the Son of God, was at the right end of the majesty, is with God, is God, he did not think, well, I'm too, I'm too proud to come and become a man. This is not. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him. Say therefore. therefore. I want you to see something. Because of, of the way he lived in humility, seeking the will of God, therefore God exalted him. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just go back in time. If we had have been able to live in the beginning, commissioned by God to rule and reign and govern, and lived well, we would have been richly rewarded by God with glory and honor and wealth and provision and da 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 But we didn't. So he comes and he does it, and he humbles himself, and he is richly rewarded by God for the life that he lived. Highly exalted, given him the name above every other name, the name under which we are saved and through which we are saved, and no one else can be saved through any other name because no one else died for you like Jesus did. No one. So I want to end with this. When we understand that we are recommissioned, we have his life in us to live a life that isn't subjected to the principalities and powers and the way of the world. When, when we're there and we honor and obey him, I want to tell you what, obedience is still richly rewarded. Yeah. It'll always be richly rewarded by God. We don't earn our salvation by doing good. But there are rewards. So just listen to the parables of Jesus. There are rewards all the time. Ah, you did so well with a little bit of gifting that I gave you. 
You did nothing with the gifting I gave you. Let me take from you and let me give it to you. There are rewards all the time. So don't downplay obedience. Jesus, here I am to be a new creation man in a dark world. But what do I see? Because if the eye is single and sees him, everything is filled with light here. Let's stand.